welcome into the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. This podcast is an extension of Renaissance. We're a family of microchurches around the greater Boston area. We dream together of God using every kind of person to create communities of unconditional belonging who enjoy the freedom found in the life Christ offers us. Every episode, we'll explore themes related to starting and sustaining those types of communities and what it means to be the church in our unique cultural moment. To find out more about us, head to wearerenaissance.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy the episode. Well, welcome into another episode of the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. Uh, I'm Drew Thurman. I'm one of our team members at Renaissance. And unlike the last couple of episodes where we had special guests, we have our entire team um, back together. So hello, everyone. Hey, hey what's uh, up? <laughs> all in unison. That was amazing. That was the uh, wait for us to unmute uh, pause yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. So. We have Fabricio. How's it going, Fabricio? Doing well. Living the dream here in Eastie. Midday, beautiful Friday. Terrible weather coming up in the weekend. Can't complain. <laughs> but I you mean, just you did. You, I just did. <laughs> I just did. Uh, it, thank you, Jace, for calling out my yeah. subtle, yeah. you know, nuanced complaint. Yeah. Was it subtle? <laughs> do I do anything subtly? No, not at all. No. no. We... We also have Christine Lee, who just called you out. How's it going, Christine? It's going great. I just had a bowl of Captain Crunch cereal, so I am living <laughs> my best life. I love that. I love Captain Crunch. Which kind? That's the big deal. It's, I did the standard with Crunch Berries, but um, my mom got me a box of all berries, which oh, I'm that's... very much looking forward to. It's, that's awesome. I'm not going to lie to the world. I'm so excited October's near because I always buy Count Chocula cereal. <laughs> like I'm five years old and I don't let my kids have nice. it, but I eat it. Yeah. Um, I'll send you a we, few boxes in, in the mail. Please, please. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drew has a thing with cereals. He loves cereal. I love cereals. And then there's Mr. Jace Rashi. How's it going, Jace? Good. Living the dream. <laughs> I think everyone said they're living the dream. So, and uh, I don't think, I don't believe it, but we are recording this, uh, yes, on our lunch break, but excited to be together. This season is all about how we experience life in microchurch community. Um, previous seasons, we've had other themes about getting microchurches off the ground or living missionally or our values. But this one, we're just talking about the fact that it is messy uh, when we talk about living in microchurch community. And this one in particular, we're talking about a very messy theme of what happens when we experience conflict and how do we find our way through it to experience some form of reconciliation. And I think we've all experienced that. And in fact, this is kind of how the church has been meeting and dealing with from its very beginning. I love one of my favorite books that no one talks about. It's a little hidden gem. In fact, it's like on his Amazon page. It's like buried at like the very end of of it. Uh, Scott McKnight wrote a book a number of years ago called A Fellowship of Difference. It's got so many wise themes that I think uh, we we should hit on, but he has a section 
where, and I'm going to read part of it, but he actually quotes a British scholar who's concluded that if the Apostle Paul's house churches were composed of about 30 people, which is what we think they were, the approximate makeup would have been something like this. A craft worker whose home they met in, along with his wife, children, and a couple of male slaves, a female domestic slave, and a dependent relative, some tenants with their families and slaves and dependents, and also uh, living in the same house and rented rooms, some family members of someone who was uh, the householder that of um, who didn't participate maybe in the house church all the time, a couple of slaves um, whose owners do not attend, some freed slaves who not who uh, you know you know were experiencing life in a different way, a couple of homeless people, a few migrant workers renting small rooms in the home. That's kind of what would have been. Uh, making up these house churches. And then he, then McKnight adds this. He says, add to this mix some Jewish folks and perhaps an enslaved prostitute. And we see how many different tastes were in a typical house church in Rome. Men and women, citizen, citizens and freed slaves and slaves who had no legal rights, Jews, Gentiles, people from all walks of life, and perhaps most notably, people from elite classes all the way down to the social scale to homeless people. Do you think these folks agreed on everything? Impossible is the right answer. Were they were they in fellowship? Were they a fellowship of difference? Yes, is the right answer. Was life together hard? Yes, again. That's the whole point of what it means to be the church. The Christian life is not just about how I am doing as an individual, but especially about how we are doing as a church and how and what am I doing in the mix of others that are called the church. God has designed the church. And this is the heart of Paul's mission, to be a fellowship of differences or difference. It is a mixture of people all across the map and spectrum, men and women, rich and poor. It is a mix of races and ethnicities, Caucasians, African-Americans, Mexican-Americans, Latin Americans, Asian-Americans, Indian-Americans. I could go on, but you see the point. And he says, the church I grew up in, bless their heart, was a fellowship of sames and likes. There was almost no variety in our church. It was composed entirely of white folks with the same beliefs and the same tastes in music and worship and sermons and lifestyles, men who wore suits and ties, women who wore dresses, and not a few of them wore church hats. But getting the church right is so important. The church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. And when this happens, we show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together in God are designed to be. So I read that very long quote, but I think it really sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about in this episode um, as we always talk about being a simple and ancient form of the church. And many ways in our micro churches, we're kind of experiencing some of the same tensions that he points out that the first century church was experiencing. So that sets the stage for our conversation. Uh, and I want to do a lot less talking. So I'm going to turn this over. Uh, and I want to first ask you the question. Scott McKnight, in his quote, shares a little bit of his church experience. What has been your experience with conflict in Christian community and how was it handled? So, um, Christine, maybe why don't you go first on this one? What has been your experience with conflict in Christian community and how was it handled? <laughs> uh, I'll just try to keep this light. I mean, I feel like, honestly, the best way to sum it up is abuse, which is like wah wah depressing, but it's true, where it was so much about power and 
whoever wielded the most power got to have say about how things were handled. And also the use of God's word and genuinely good uh, theological beliefs warped into uh, weapons and warped into ways to control. So like, I thought a lot about how, you know, I worked in these churches where when something bad would happen, it would be like, don't tell anybody else about this because it's gossip. (laughs) And also Matthew 18. So you have to talk one-on-one with the person that harms you, who has more power over you and don't share. Um, And there was no way forward in terms of actual reconciliation. It was just like an acquiescing and with no acknowledgement about what was broken. Um, And so I think a lot of my experience in the past is like being, uh, (laughs) it's like walking on eggshells. I feel like conflict is like, I don't want to step on the wrong thing because then my whole life could blow up. And then also somehow I will feel like God's mad at me too. And not just these people who are part of this church. That's good. Jace. Yeah. I was going to say, um, uh, very different experience. I grew up in a, um, you know, small town in Indiana and grew up Catholic. And so really, uh, that would, I would classify that as the fellowship of the same. It was very much homogenous of, of where I, my experience in church and I wasn't involved, but it was really, I would say college when I went to Indiana university and diversity, having a lot of diversity there on campus and then getting involved with young life, um, we're a really experienced Christian community for the first time, I would say even um, in the sense of like really close relationships, but also conflict came out of that. And so a lot of it was just typical, you know, college kids doing stupid stuff kind of thing. Um, but even when I worked for Young Life after that, I think it was my also my first experience of being around people who um, had very different denominational backgrounds or beliefs even within Christianity. And I think uh, that was very much so like I, um, created a lot of conflict. I think a lot of times we hear the word conflict and that we immediately have a negative connotation with it, but it really, it's really not. It's just that when there's two competing things that aren't the same. And so I think there's a lot of um, conflict in just terms of like views on baptism or views on how we do this or views on how we do this. And there was a lot of just like um, a lot of not so great ways that we handled it, but there's also some really good ways to, to really just talk about like, you know, this is what I think, this is where I'm coming from. This is what, and then giving space for the other person to say, this is where I'm coming from. And this is my background. And, and so not, and not even, you know, getting to an end point, uh, really of like, we all agreed. It was, you know, I hate to use the phrase agree to disagree, but there was a lot of just like, it was mostly, um, get to a place of understanding of where the other person is at and where they're coming from. And at least to a place of, okay, I can respect that you believe that and do things a little bit differently and but I want you to do the same for me and so there's a lot of that was my first experience with it really and it was being it was because I was around people that were not the same as me that had grown up very differently or very different backgrounds and so um so I would say I have a a wide array of of experiences along those lines but it's not always been bad I think it's the when we have the same purpose and we know that we're we're aligned on the same vision and values which is um I think that a key thing, then, then we're able to move forward, even if we don't all agree, because we can agree that to keep the main thing, the main thing, so to speak. Um, and anyways, that's my, been my experience when conflict has gone really well. Uh, it's been because people on both sides have, you know, shared values, at least, even if they don't have the shared beliefs necessarily. 
That's really great, Jace. I'm glad you have a positive experience with conflict in your background. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I think I've shared before, you know, my, my parents are, are actually both Brazilian. You know, I, I've grown up, grown up in Boston, born and raised here. But for more than half my life, I attended Brazilian Portuguese speaking churches. And the way we handled conflict in that situation was every time some quasi leader didn't agree with the pastor, they left and started their own church. So growing up, you know, I, there was one really big church probably had about four to 500 people, Brazilians in this one church. I would say within three years, that original group had become about eight to 11 different churches. So the way to deal with conflict was to go have an argument, say it's my way or the highway, and then find 30 people to leave with you. So that was pretty unhealthy. Um, I'm not just saying this is a Brazilian only problem. I'm just speaking about, you know, the, the culture I grew up in and unfortunately what would end up happening in those power dynamics. And, and, and the reason for that is, is kind of what, it, not kind of, it's, it's what Christine was sharing earlier. It's about one person has all the power. Um, and, and at least in the churches I grew up in, there wasn't a board, you know, there weren't really elders. I mean, there were some people who had elder like roles, but they really had no say at the end of the day, the pastor said what they said, and that's what it was going to be. And if people didn't agree, they just decided to leave. Um, and, and in situations, you know, that that's when I was young, right. That was my single aged years and my, my younger teens, but even, you know, when I was in my, in my older teens and in, heading into my 20s, um, where conflict got a little more complicated and nuanced, maybe it was like intrapersonal conflict or somebody did something that's like, wow, this is really bad. You know, um, I did have situations where we went and again, only the pastor could resolve the conflict. So We'd go, we'd have a meeting with the pastor, and at the end of the day, the pastor had the final say, and that was that. Um, and, and, and what generally ended up happening there was a lot of gossip. I hate to admit it. Gossip queen over here, like with that stuff. If I'm angry, the four of you know, I'm not going to stop talking about something. So um, a lot of, you know, just kind of like behind the scenes complaining, like, what is this? This is so wrong. You know, even if I was right, in my opinion. Um, probably definitely didn't handle it very well at that age, lacking some maturity there. But even in the adults, I saw the same thing, to be honest. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was just the, the young adults who were doing that. Um, and, and, you know, you, you, friendships would be broken, like just a lot of negative. I, I still know people who are so close, went to high school together, graduated. We were in young adults together. We just don't talk anymore because of some conflict at church. Literally something happened at church that never got resolved the right way. And relationships are broken 20 years later still because of that. So, um, yeah, I think that's the, the down, you know, obvious negative side of, of one person yielding all the power to resolve conflict, quote unquote, and, you know, to kind of have the final say and everybody has to agree with it. Uh, I was going to say mine wasn't all positive either. There's a lot of gossip or the, the classic uh, so-and-so needs prayer for this. And then you just spill all the beans about what the, that person, <laughs> that's your form of gossip. Brazilians, 
Brazilians <laughs> don't hide behind prayer requests. We just <laughs> say it. Well, I've been a part of many of those uh, those prayer meetings. Pray for so-and-so. They're really a rough time. You know, kind of. Well, I love, Fab, what you're getting at because you were kind of, I think, bringing some nuance to the conversation that there's two there's two components here. I think sometimes when we think of conflict, we only think of it institutionally. And part of that's because in a lot of churches, it is from the lens of who's on staff or who's being paid or who the pastor is. Um, what are our, you know, theological beliefs as Jason, you know, alluded to what are, what is this church going to believe? There's that component. And I think often that, that because that is the predominant conversation, in a lot of the churches that we've grown up in, we miss the one that we're really going to be moving to. You kind of segued us. It's the interpersonal side that Christians obviously often struggle. And in many ways, we should be a shining example of what does it look like to show grace to one another for the Holy Spirit to help us work through reconciliation. But as we know, fight or flight syndrome hits most often in the conflicts that we have interpersonally and even in the church. We fight each other, we get angry, or we just you know, kind of ghost everyone, deuces, I'm on to the next church um, or the next thing, and I'm just going to get out of here. And so I think we probably need to move towards that as we're talking about microchurch, not that there isn't an organization that we're, you know, a wider family of network of microchurches that we're a part of, but what we really want to hit on is what happens in a living room or a third space. What happens when we naturally, as a spiritual family, as we heard Scott McKnight talk about, rub shoulders with each other, and there's frictions. We may, maybe we come from different socioeconomic statuses, or we come from, you know, different cultures, or we do something naturally as that happens in spiritual family, and we hurt someone's feelings, or we do something that irritates somebody, and you know, or maybe we we believe something differently within the the realm of that. So I'd be interested for you to talk through. While we're we're all still works in progress, we're not talking like we're experts on this subject. We are all still figuring it out. Um, we will continue to figure it out. And I'm not sure there's ever a point where you're like, "Hey, you know what? I'm just amazing at interpersonal conflict." Like I've just passed, I've I've passed the exams on that, and it's just it's all butterflies and rainbows. But I would be fascinated. What has been your experience with conflict in a microchurch? And you know, we're not wanting to name names or you know do Jace's prayer request um, and just kind of nicely say what's really going on. But I would be fascinated because I still think this is a struggle. It's not, it's not perfect, but what, you know, what are you learning as we operate as spiritual families in a different setting without maybe some of the institutional things that are masking the difficulty that we just have with each other? Surprise, surprise. I've got an out of left field answer that I want to approach. Uh, hopefully, I don't derail us. My not so great parenting skills tend to be on display a lot during our microchurch gatherings. Sometimes the conflict is with my children, and or maybe me and my wife had had a rough day, and we're still not getting along. And now everybody's here in the room. And I'll be honest, it's a lot harder to fake it when people know you and can catch it right you're 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 getting together in the living room all the time um and people are like hey what's going on or like oh fab's yelling at his kids again you know like what's the deal um i just i share that because it's different like at church everybody could put on the pretty smile yeah like you got in a fight in the car before church but you show up and everything looks good 
your kids go to kids, everything looks great, right? But when you're at home, there's this like the, the veneer is taken off and there's this idea, hopefully there's this transparency and vulnerability that exists. And even your like inner family conflict can kind of come to the forefront because they're, you're comfortable around these people for good or for bad. And you, you're not hiding the like, yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not treating my, my son the best way. I didn't talk to him the best way or me and my wife argued about something and, um, it's on display at our dinner at micro, you know what I mean? So those things happen. Um, so I wanted to bring that up because I think that's a real possibility, you know, and I'm just speaking, I'm not throwing my kids or my wife on the table, just myself and saying that I have been certainly guilty of that. Um, you know, and kind of have to bring it up with the crew and be like, Hey guys, like it's been a rough week at, you know, whatever, whatever's going on. So that that's I'll, I'll bring up that single aspect of conflict for now, which isn't directly like with somebody who isn't your family, but I think an important one we shouldn't overlook. Well, I think that's a great way. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear what Christine and Jace have to say, but I do think that's an important point to make that not even just the conflict, but the fact that we are letting people more into our lives and who we are is going to create more conflict. It's going to create more tension points, you know? And you didn't even mention all your hot takes, you know, that you that you might spicy takes that might just appear at any point during a micro church. So yeah, <laughs> those things all happen. And how do yeah. we how do we operate, you know, or our kids, or, you know, my kids don't get along with someone else's kids in the middle of a micro church. Right. What do I do? It's not like we're going to, you know, children's programming. There's only, you know, a few of us. So those are, you know, I think it's really important to pull back the veil there and say conflicts actually probably more you know, apt to happen and as a spiritual family than under the facade of we can clean ourselves up and pretend for an hour. Yeah. And the likelihood of me offending is very high generally. So. Yeah. I think anytime you do, when you're doing life with other people, I think that there's going to be the, the, I think the chance, I think the chances for conflict in microchurch are exponentially higher than like you were saying, Fab, you could, I could show up on a Sunday morning and pretend for an hour, but you know, you can't do that if someone's coming to your home and you're just yelling at your kids or, you know, whatever was happening. Um, I, so I, given that context, I think that, that, that it's not as much of like, um, you know, it's, that it's, it's going to happen. It's more of like what you do with it. So, and I would say I'm uh, not a very good person to answer this question. because I feel like I'm terrible at, at uh, <laughs> dealing with conflict. Uh, my, I would, I would say in my experience with microchurches, um, and I would not advise, this would not be my advice to, on how to handle it, but I, mine is usually, uh, it happens and then I just avoid it and then complain to my wife about it later <laughs> or, and I never actually address the, the conflict, uh, or I, or, or I vent to Drew about some, something that happened. Uh, um, so I, I wouldn't say that that's the healthiest way to deal with it, but that's usually, um, it's hard cause you're doing life with people and it's, it's also just like, I don't know, it's, it's. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to learn from you all. Cause I don't really know the best way <laughs> to, cause it's, it's complicated when you're doing life with people and it is, you are family. And sometimes, you know, I love my family, but they get on my nerves and not everything needs to be a big conversation. Sometimes they just get on my nerves. And I need to just wait until next time, <laughs> but I do need to get better at, some, at like, you know, figuring out a way to, to address it and to move forward uh, on the bigger things at least. But that's usually, that's been my strategy in microchurch. I avoid and then complain. Uh, to someone else so there's my confession for the day yeah I was thinking through this question I think part of it is 
difficult to answer because our microchurch is so new so we're only a little over a year old so it's not like we've had any like major blowout fights but I really like the way you defined conflict Jace of it's not necessarily like we're like trying to punch each other in the face and more just like there's different understandings different perspectives that don't mesh and I would say that happens a lot at our microchurch like we just have such a wide range of perspectives ages where people are at in their faith journey and so we can all read the same text and the takeaways, the thoughts are just all across the spectrum and sometimes very clearly opposite um, clashing perspectives. And I think um, I've sensed to myself, I'm such a resolver. (laughs) So, and it's probably didn't help that I was like a vocational pastor for a long time in these spaces that really like certainty. So I sense on myself a lot of times when that stuff arises, I still have a default interstate of like, I want to make this nice for everyone by saying something that we can all agree on (laughs) and just like wrap up the conversation and move on. Um, But I think my experience in microchurch is that like, um, to I think one thing that I found really fascinating is letting it sit and just letting people do with it what they will. Like if they want to engage further with someone's opposing viewpoint, they can. And if they don't want to, they can choose not to. And I think one thing I've really seen is the community that can be built with like enduring one another's differences. It's like not even resolving them. It's just like, we had a pretty, the very opposite stance on something we just discussed and the conversation did not get resolved it just like got to be like 7 30 and we all need to go home so okay see you next week (laughs) and sometimes that conversation picks up and sometimes it doesn't and I think in the past and you know sometimes even still like I'm like oh that's uncomfortable I feel like we should bring that up again to talk about it and like make it okay but I've learned like oh like if these people are really a part of my life it'll come up again when it needs to come up. And also if we're all a part of one another's lives, like it's not my sole responsibility to make sure we all talk about it. It's our responsibility to talk about it if we need to. And if not, like that's okay too. So I feel like I've gotten better through the experience of being a part of my microchurch or like just living in the tension of it's not going to be all clean and neat with a bow on top. And that feels not great, but it can also lend to deeper trust like I trust you're still going to show up next week even though we do not think the same about this whatsoever and I don't have to like feel on edge about that I think I've learned that over time I feel now like a year a little over a year in when we land at that point at the end of the conversation I could just be like okay that was kind of strange like I don't really know how I feel but I'm just gonna go home and go to bed and I'll see these people next week and it'll be okay and I think that's been a growth point for me. Whereas I would say when we first started, I'd be like, oh, like, oh, how do we, how do we get something nice on a PDF for us all? You know, was my internal default. No, that's really good. And I, I do think kind of to, <clears throat> to help bring some of this together, I do think we're talking about a couple of different things. I mean, I think there are just differences of opinions and beliefs when we start talking about faith and I think there is a way to like make space for, hey, God is big enough for us to not all agree and for us to work through this. And 
faith is not just a series of propositions that we can all sign on a two-sided PDF and a 101 class. You know, it's it's bigger than that. And I do think that is something I've seen across the board at Renaissance where it feels like people do a really good job of making allowances for each other and wrestling with that tension and being okay with that. I think then there's the other is just what happens when we don't get along or we're frustrated with each other because we're doing life so much together. And, you know, Jay says he avoids, I, you know, I've been microchurches with Jay's and I think one of the things that he's done a really good job of is often, I think with Jay's, our avoidance is probably, you know, what we often default to. I mean, there's sometimes there are, there is somebody in a group that just wants to fight with people and argue with people. And we've all had those people in our lives and that's a whole nother, you know, uh, deal with reconciliation. But I think a lot of times it's just no one says anything and it gets real passive aggressive. And I think what I've seen work really well is just naming like, this feels like a tension or we feel like this is bothering, you know, and let's just, let's just have a family conversation and I like make space and allowance for each other, I think helps a lot. And then I can also tell, you know, like, and we're going to talk in, in the second segment a little bit about some practices, but you know, just times where I've sat down with individual people and have tried to give backstory on like, hey, you know, you stepped into this group maybe later, but like, I want to help you understand where this person's coming from and just allow there to be a little bit of growth of empathy. Like this isn't just coming from nowhere or what, when, when the decisions you see them making or what's happening, like every single person on the group has a story that's being told. So I, I would say also that's just been the, the more that we tell stories, the more that we help people see each other as people and not just their opinions or not just the things that tick us off um, or drive us nuts uh, seems to help a lot. But that has been my experience is more just uh, let's just not name the conflict. Let's just not name anything. Let's just, you know, be paralyzed by it and change the subject or, you know, someone says something and, and no one texts back for another day because everyone feeling so awkward and doesn't know who's going to be the one to break the ice. We've just got to sometimes just get it out into the open. And Jace actually is really great at that. Um, and I always appreciate of just, hey, let's just let's just talk about this and brings down the level of anxiety that everyone uh, is feeling. So well, um, I, I'm, I want us to kind of be able to move on. We're going to transition to a break because I do want us to get to some of the like being able to name uh, like some, what does this look like? And what are some of the practices? And I do think, Kind of to segue us there, you know, almost what we were talking, we heard, you know, what I read McKnight saying earlier is I think part of the issue that we're always going to deal with is, um, as we have this topic, is how do we buy, get people to buy into the Christian life that's okay with conflict, is okay working through, realizing that learning to love one another is actually, uh, and, and work through reconciliation is actually part of the fruit of the spirit you know, the spirit doing something in us as part of our sanctification process and not there's a, that there's somehow you, some utopia of church that if I deal with conflict, I run, um, or I go to the next spot where the, I don't feel like there is conflict or everything's perfect. Um, and I think some of what we have to continually do is cast the vision. Like, yeah, you're gonna, you're not going to get along. Someone's going to drive you nuts. Someone's going to tick you off. Um, and it's actually in the church embracing conflict, as Jace even framed out for us earlier, learning to do this. We actually not only learn to love more like Jesus loves, but we also uh, start to demonstrate to the world around us that we're a different kind of community, that we're a different kind of people. 
Um, so this is actually a good thing. So we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a few ideas around how do we, um, as microchurch communities, what are some practices that we can actually employ so that we can actually become those sorts of people? Again, right after the break. And we're back. We talked in the first segment a little bit about the negative. What have we seen in the church? Talked a little bit about microchurch and the fact that it is not a place where that is conflict-free or is perfect. In fact, there's probably more conflict and annoyances that are going to arise. Um, and that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. Um, but what do we do with that? So we are going to talk uh, a little bit more um, specifically, get into the weeds a bit here. And so I would love just anyone uh, who wants to go first here, what are some best practices you've seen in how to handle um, conflict? How do we talk through some of the pain points without fracturing or losing our people? Um, that fight or flight a little bit there. So what are some best practices in other words? Well, I, I can start. Um, I don't know that I've, I've got a lot for this, but I do think, um, I know we're going to talk about this in a minute. I do think it starts um, with the shared idea and vision of, you know, we're, we are going to be better as a group if we go through this instead of avoiding this. Like, I, I think, you know, it takes both parties to really, um, you know, especially when it's interpersonal, but to at least agree that like, hey, this is, this matters too much to not talk about it like we need to talk about it otherwise it's going to fester below the surface forever um and so i think one just getting people to understand that conflict is not a bad thing is is a good practice of that it's okay just to like normalize it and that people don't have to agree to you know be part of the community or you know even necessarily like everything that everyone else does but beyond that when there's actually a conflict i mean you know the yeah christine referenced like sitting down with someone you know I think it's different from different situations depending on what what happened and what the conflict is but um in in my in my experience it's always been best when there's a, a neutral third party that can help facilitate a conversation if there's something to that to get to the point where it's like hey we, we need to sit down and talk about this um mainly for the fact of you know drew mentioned earlier about empathy but just like getting to the uh, both parties to understand why the other person thinks this or where they're coming from and maybe like i'm hearing you say this but you know just almost being like a translator i think in my experience when i've um because i've been up on in some of these and then been a part of it as the mediator but just like the you know when it's you're really translating for each party like what you know because there's a there's that's what conflict is right we're not jiving something's missing and it, sometimes it takes a third person to get in there and be like i think this is what is missing. I think this is what you're trying to say. This is this is why you're upset, and this is why you're upset, and it's kind of trying to bridge bridge those gaps. But there are times, like Christine, you know, when it when it's a difference of beliefs and those kinds of conflicts, sometimes sometimes you just acknowledge it and move on. You know, that like that. Yeah, there's there's different things there, and there might not be an answer, but we're going to move on, or you know, something along those lines. Of, I, I think that the key part is acknowledging the tension, like Drew mentioned earlier, because it kind of deflates the situation, but not everything has to have a resolution, in my opinion, either. It gets really practical, but use using I statements, <laughs> like it is like something I feel like is a game changer, even though it's so like it feels so basic. 
But I think a lot of times, especially when we're upset with somebody, even noticing the thoughts in your mind, it's they did this, they did that. They're this because blah, 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 blah. And then we have such a propensity when we're talking with someone else to be like, you, blah, 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 you know, like whatever it is. But I think something about using I statements is so grounding of like, I feel hurt because blankety blank. And I think it causes you to have to do some deeper introspection that the problem isn't just the conflict. It's about how it makes you feel. It's about what it makes you think about yourself, which is why you're so upset. Um, and I think that is it takes a level of maturity to be like, let me not jump into this conversation without understanding myself a little bit better before I'm trying to get you to understand me. Because I think sometimes we hop into conversations about conflict and all we know is that narrative of like, this is what this person did to me, blah, blah, blah. And we like don't, we couldn't even really put words to how it is that we're feeling, what part of us has been hurt and being able to name that um, for ourselves before we even jump into a conversation with another person, I think is, is helps, um, helps the conversation go better. I'm going to peel back the curtain here for all our listeners. Um, so I, I tend to be a little bit of a troublemaker, I guess, out of the four of us, even though it sounds like we're all best friends and we are very much best friends. We don't all agree. You know, we've got team meetings every two weeks. And uh, actually, before we, you know, we were discussing this next podcast, I thought oh, it was probably a good time for me to start a fight on a call so we can have something in real life to talk about. Um, but <laughs> I wish I was kidding. Well, I didn't intentionally start it. But, you know, all that to say, in this group, we disagree, right? And I think part of what we, the impetus for the season was, hey, how the four of us kind of relate to each other. And I, I made this comment, right? But like, wow, I feel like we have this really awesome microchurch where like all this stuff happens. That isn't always clean, but it's the four of us. And, um, you know, and, and going back to Christine's point, you know, when we have these disagreements, it's about separating um that the point of view isn't the person, right? Like Jace's opinion, Christine's opinion, Drew's opinion is not who they are. It is their opinion on a topic, right? And just because I come in and I'm asking crazy things, like I might not even believe half the things I'm asking, but it's to stir thought and to stir conversation, right? So it's not Fabricio attacking anybody. It's Fabricio potentially helping us get to a better answer if possible. And if not, I'll step back and say, all right, I'm done. Um, but there's relational, so I, I say all that to say there's relational equity between the four of us that exists where, um, we trust each other, we love each other, but e even in that conflict, I think it's a best practice is important to remind each other. And I'll do this a lot. Like if I, if I was kind of hard on a call, like and you guys can vouch for this, I might send a text after and be like, I, I just want you guys to know, like, I, I'm not against you. I, I love you guys. This is where I'm coming from. And we just move on and we don't let it fester. We don't let it linger. If, if there was tension, right. Um, and we don't have to crack a silly joke. Like we could just be straightforward and say like, this is where we were. This is the in the decision, the conversation, whatever it may be. Um, and, and, and Dan, Dan White Jr. In his book, churches and a movement has, has this concept of thick community. Right. And it's almost like, these um, statements of, of how they're going to live and how, how they're going to act in, in their in whatever community you have. In this case, we say microchurch. One of, one of the points was I'm slow to speak, slow to defend myself, slow to make assumptions of the other person. 
but quick to listen, quick to ask questions, quick to reconcile differences. And and I I feel like that that statement he has is, it very clearly outlines what we do. Right? I don't want to wait two days like if we had a hard meeting to say something. No, I, I'm going to text for if if I'm feeling in my spirit still didn't feel quite resolved. I, I'm going to be the first one to make a move and apologize or to to clarify things if needed. Again, the, the, somebody's opinion is not who they are. So I'm not going to make assumptions about who they are because of what they think, right? That's, they're two different things. And, and we live in a society where what I think is who I am, I don't want to get into that. That's a different problem, which is why it makes this hard, right? It makes it hard not to make assumptions about the other person because so often what we're talking about day to day is that like what I think is who I am. And this is across the board. This is no specific topic in general, but. Uh, it's just where we find ourselves in, in culture right now. So, um, yeah. Well, I like that you brought up that book because we do actually use church's movement as part of our coaching pathway. And yeah, that thin versus thick community, you know, this idea of thin community is where we don't work through stuff. We just, it's very, it's peripheral. It's, it's, you know, we've all been a part of church, small groups where everyone just talks in third person they really don't get into the intimate details of their life and they definitely don't manage conflict because it's just, that's the nature. And I think part of what he's getting at him and J.R. Woodward, who wrote that, wrote that book of, you know, that they're really, and I think this is key to so much of what we're doing. You just have to like set some ground rules and expectations and verbalize. You can't assume anything, you know, there it's part of, you know, we talk about creating social contracts for safe spaces. Some of the previous episodes, these are all building on each other you know, us, you know, making promises to one another, you know, and working through pain and hurts. Those are things that start to build trust too, uh, that help us, you know, build on when we do experience conflict. But there's a bunch of things like, you know, I'm going to honor a person's name. I'm going to refuse to dishonor them, whether they're present or not. I'm going to only share uh, a concern or conflict with others if they are part of the conflict or, or a part of the solution. Gossip's not an answer. I'm going to look, you know, you talked about, I'm going to work towards it in a timely manner. I'm going to be slow to speak, slow to defend myself, but quick to listen. I'm going to know that most differences are not because of right or wrong, but because of difference of preference or temperaments, Um, you know, I'm all those sorts of things. And this is, you know, so much of what we see is Paul's talking, you know, so much, you know, Jesus, you know, first and foremost, but so much of what Paul builds on in the epistles of how we deal with conflict of yeah, yielding to one another out of reverence to Christ. You know, uh, we believe the the peace that God's guarding our hearts and minds first. And he, you know, he's going to give us peace even when we don't even feel like we necessarily get it. You know, um, you know, we turn, you know, we turn to God's word together, Hebrews 4.12, written and in, in prayer first, you know, where we believe that God's an active agent in, in the midst of our conflict. And we you know, we're working through these sorts of things together, but you're seeing this theme come up over and over again in the New Testament because Paul realizes this is what they were dealing with. We just read again, you know, the kind of a very practical house church of 30 people talking, you know, we talk about power dynamics and differences of socioeconomic. They were dealing with it. There had to have been all kinds of issues. And by working through those together, and for the first time really in human history, you had women being honored, people who were from the lowest levels of the socioeconomic ladder that were getting to eat at the same tables with people, not in the you know, this you know, socioeconomic bracket and working through some of the tension points of what was happening in their culture around them and going on and on and on. 
they were they were an incredible demonstration and model. They were a foretaste of what was going to come in heaven, and it swept the known world at the time. Ironically, uh, we've in many places the church is now the worst at working through some of this instead of the best. And I think returning to some of that social contract, some of those ground rules and thick community, I think helps us kind of reset the gauges. We can't take any of it for granted. And I think I love what you all are saying. Uh, we need to we need to be honest with that. Moving forward, though, uh, as great as it is, it's great to to name some of these practical things. It's great to have a social contract. It's great to work through some of these things. The reality is, is that we still have our own feelings. I love Christine talked about I statements, but it's it's still hard, you know, and sometimes even when we know that we need to work through conflict or we need to pursue reconciliation or the God's in the midst of it, I still feel hurt or I still feel bothered or I still show up and I I recoil of like wanting to be around this person because of what's happened. Um you know, and, or I'm still frustrated and I just, so I'm just going to kind of ghost you. <laughs> so Christine, maybe you could start us off, you know, why, like, what advice would you give with people working through their emotions? And, you know, we're not advocating for someone to stick through being abused or anything like that, but why should they stick through maybe their frustrations or, or some of the tension of that, um, you know, and work through their, their feelings and emotions and not just run. Yeah, that's an awesome question. I think the short answer is because that's what it takes to become a mature, good human. <laughs> and I think that the ultimate picture of that is Christ. Like his life was full of conflict and yet people were given dignity and hope and healed. And I think there's so much to working through conflict, again, not abuse, working through conflict and sticking it through that shapes you into the kind of person who understands the cross and the resurrection you know like um and I think a lot of times when we we feel a lot of resistance towards it because it it's really tough and I think one thing to note is that a lot of times when we are experiencing conflict it's not just I think I said earlier it's not just about the situation it's not just about the other person it's about something that gets riled up in us and so you know like the same situation could happen to two different people like someone says something silly, like you're dumb. <laughs> and one person will be like, okay, like whatever and move on. But for the other person, it could like send them into a spiral for days. And just recognizing like we all have responses differently because of our own story and context and things that happened to us. And so I think whenever we're in conflict to just take, I, I think this is like such a helpful practice that I do a lot. Um, it's uh, based off of a uh, a therapy modality called uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, but I love it. It's so simple. It's just like, what evidence do I have for this about what I'm thinking right now? And what evidence do I have for this for the opposite of this thought? So if like, especially when we're in conflict and someone makes us feel some type of way, like, oh, like they, they, they're doing this because they're trying to ruin my whole week. <laughs> okay. Like what evidence do I have for this thought? Well, like, because I feel bad. Well, like that's not actually evidence. Like that's not actually what's happening. What evidence do I have for this? That that might not be what's happening, that they're actually not trying to ruin my whole week. Well, they're not a part of my week at all. They live in a different city. So, you know, like there's so many things for us to think through, like before we get like caught up into that, like hurricane of emotions and building this entire story that makes the conflict worse internally for us. 
really just using that skill to de-escalate ourselves and to think through the problem. What evidence do I have for this thought, this feeling that I'm experiencing right now? And what evidence do I have for the opposite of it? Um, And for me, that's really helped me come down and de-escalate for myself to be able to be more ready to stick through the frustration. Because most of the time I'm able to see the, the situation more clearly of like, oh, actually there's a lot of evidence that maybe they really care about me, but they don't know how to handle this. And so they're avoiding me. Okay, like that gives me a lot of compassion for me of like, I should stick through this because what really they want to connect with me, even though they're acting some type of way that makes me want to back up. That's more complicated, right? Than just being like, oh, they're the worst. They're avoiding me. So I think that like one little skill has helped me a lot um, when I'm dealing with conflict, but I'm interested in what the rest of y'all think. I think that's really good. Um, And I I would say just to go piggybacking off of that too, just... um, for me personally, of I think 90% of the time we build it out to be bigger than what it actually is in our head. Of, and, and if we were going to do this thing in spiritual community and in families, you know, there's some level of trust and connection there. Like that I, I do want to believe that the other person cares about me. I want to know if I hurt or offended someone, like I'm not going to react. You know, I might get caught off guard in the moment, but I'm not, I'm going to reflect on that. And I'm, I don't want to be the kind of person like that. So there has to be some level of trust. And one of the things that helps me I, I didn't know what it was called, but I do what you said, Christina, I've like looked through the evidence, but, but also just like, um, I try not to let myself get upset about something that I haven't spoken out loud. Like if I haven't asked you not to do it, then that's an unrealized, you know, unspoken expectation I had that maybe you're just unaware of or didn't know, or, you know, and so even in my, I try and do that in my marriage, but even just interpersonally of like, well, if I haven't specifically asked you not to do that, or haven't specifically said that that bothers me, then then partially that's on me. Like I need to be able to voice that and say that and then move forward with this and not just hold it in. So I can be mad all I want, but if you didn't know what you were doing and I never said anything to you, I can't continue to be mad when you keep doing it because I haven't done anything about it. Um, so I think that that's a key too. It was just sometimes we build it up so big in our head and and really I want to know if I'm doing something that bothers you. So, you know, like hopefully we can have those conversations and 90% of the time it, it usually will end with, Oh, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. I'll make sure to be more cognizant of that in the future. And, and it, at, you know, our lives would be so much better if we approached and didn't just keep everything hidden below the surface. But I feel like I'm looping back a little bit to what Fab was sharing in our, the disagreements that emerged from the four of us. But I feel like um, something that's helped a lot is I think this is very natural to everyone in this group is to speak out the humanity that you see in one another in the midst of a disagreement. And I feel like, and really like trying to name what you think the other person's intent is. So like, I feel like whenever, like I think about the last conversation we had, that was kind of spicy. And we were just talking about some culture pieces. I think we all had very different takes about what we were seeing and why it was happening. And I just remember like, I think like, Drew had just voiced like, I really appreciate that you guys care so much about our culture, that you're willing to say this. And this is what I think instead. <laughs> and I thought it was like such a good way to do it of like, yes, like I hear that you care about me, you respect my opinion and we are not resolved maybe in this conversation, but like, I don't, I don't hear whatever your different opinion as like an attack towards me. And I think that's like such a good way to engage with conflict of like reminding one another, like, this is why I love you. This is why I care about you. This is what I respect about you. And I have this thought that I want you to hear. 
Um, and I think that, that that's been so mm, beautiful for me to be a part of this group where I think it's felt, made me feel freer to be myself. Like, I don't feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I feel like I can just say what I think, even like sometimes like in probably not the best ways where I'm like, sometimes I text really long texts about thoughts. I'm like, this will probably just be better to say in person. And in other spaces where it's not safe, I wouldn't even say the thing in person because I would be like, it's going to be misunderstood. But we have the level of relational equity that I feel like I can say whatever I need to say, even if it's not in the best means, because I know we can have a follow-up conversation of, and I, I feel respected and I respect you guys enough to be like, if it went over really poorly, we can work it out, you know? All that's so good. Well, I love the, you know, what both you and Jace are saying, you know, recognizing that not all of our feelings, you know, the narratives that we create for other people are necessarily true and, you know, hoping the best, you know, for other people starting to wrestle through and helping, you know, helping to understand um, the motivations or some of the the you know, actual truths about the other person, I think helps us grow in empathy. But I do want to, you know, you talked about circling back. I also want to circle back to what I love. One of the very first things you said was Christine, this idea of understanding the end goal. You know, the, the point of this is not just, yes, we get along and that we get through and we, we reconcile. That's true. But part of the reason we go through this, this process rather than constantly divorcing ourselves from everyone who's, you know, we've had a conflict with or is difficult to be around is that we understand that God is doing something to us uh, and through us as we begin to work through that, that there is an end goal that, you know, I, if I'm the kind of person that never works through conflict, or if I never uh, learn to to love somebody who maybe I have friction with, um, it's not, it's probably clear that the way of Jesus is really not, doesn't have full fingerprints on my life and a community that can't work together through conflict or difficulty or, or differences of opinions. It's clear that the gospel message really hasn't been realized together. You know, they might cognitively get it, but it's not yet, you know, gotten to their, you know, to an embodied form. And so part of the reason we work through this is we're saying, you know what, we're all works in progress. And this is part of, again, what what God's doing in and through us is the, the you know it's easy to read the New Testament and you know act like you know again how many times have we heard a sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians five oh let's talk about love let's talk about joy let's talk about peace let's talk about peace you know it's but to do that in community is a totally different beast you know yeah somewhat I sometimes I don't want to be patient with you. You know, sometimes I don't want to be gentle. Sometimes I definitely don't want to love you because you are totally unlovable. But when I work through that in the midst of community and I allow Jesus to have his way in my life and I'm not worried about winning or I'm on the top end of every disagreement, but I allow God to say, hey, you're doing something to me through the midst of this, um, where this isn't just a, a a concept to me anymore. I'm learning this with my body and I'm learning this with my emotions and my mind. That's a totally different pursuit. And this is the problem. Most of us know, you know, this gets back to themes of previously on the podcast, the discipleship journey's never been framed out for us like that, right? Like it's been just learn some information, hear our TED talk and go and just be a decently moral person rather than saying, no, like you are a work in progress. None of this is natural to you. 
the kingdom is not natural to you and you're going to have to work through it and you're going to have to, you know, work through the muscle memory that tells you the exact opposite so that Jesus can be Lord. And when community, when we do that individually and then collectively, oh my goodness, it's absolutely beautiful, but it's hard, you know, and, and I, so Christine, I appreciate what you're saying. Cause I think that's gotta be the bar for us is the reason we're doing this is because this is the whole goal of following Jesus. And if it's not that, then I don't know if we ever really, it's kind of like, well, you tick me off. I'm out. You know, I tried, you know, I'm on to the next thing. Well, we've been uh, at this for about uh, an hour. We want to wrap up our podcast, but um, I would just love, um, you know, I'm going to, Christy, I'm going to tap your shoulder one more time. Um, I would love for you just to, to vision cast for us. Um, I, I did a little bit there, but I would love for you, like, what do you think a community that's working through conflict and, and finding reconciliation, what do you think, what does that look like? Uh, what would describe to us the kinds of things that you, you would see from a community like that, the kinds of, um, people that they're becoming, uh, rather, you know, we're obviously talking about, you know, individual practices, but just cast a vision for us about, you know, this is what, this is what it looks like in reality. And this is what we should be pursuing. Yeah, it's like a, a big question or I, I think one of the things that came to mind is like, I just feel like we would be a community full of people who are so secure and who are so safe, knowing that we are safe in God and that nothing can take us out of his love, like it says in Romans 8, and that we believe that that love is so strong that we can give that to one another, that no matter what somebody else does, no matter who somebody else is, like that God's love is enough for them as it is enough for us. And that there's this security and I don't have to prove myself to be good, to be right, to be whatever it is. And I can enter into this uncomfortable space because I really believe that I am loved and I will be loved when we get through it. And I think about how that gives people freedom to truly be themselves. Like, I think that's what church is supposed to be it's why it's like people having the freedom to be themselves is why it's going to get messy, but it's also what's going to bring beauty. It's, it's what's going to allow every person's gift to flourish and to contribute to our community. It's going to be the part that makes things dicey, but it gives space for mercy. It gives space for justice. It gives space for us to, to delve into what life together can look like. And I think the, world around us is looking for safety in so many ways and oftentimes in all the wrong ways and people crave acceptance but that acceptance is shallow and that's why so many of us have so many secrets you know like but what if we didn't have to have secrets and we could really believe that god already sees us as we are and loves us as we are and wills us to become even more than we could ever imagine and that there are people alongside of us that believe that for us and with us as well 